What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. It's time to break down the surprising and thrilling Paris final where Holger Runa came back from down a set against Novak Djokovic. So many crazy things about this result. Um, Novak had never lost a Masters 1000 final from up a set. He was something like 30-0, and 0, something crazy like that. Holger is a top 10 player now. Uh, that's kind of out of nowhere in itself, literally in the top 10. He'll be going to Turin as an alternate. And all around, this is just an insane run from Runa at 19 years old where uh, suddenly you kind of look up and Carlos Alcaraz has a, a real peer um, in terms of just another teenager in the top 10. How about that? So uh, we're going to get into that match analysis, but first, talking big picture and what this title means for uh, for Holger Runa. Because when something improbable like this happens at this time of year, it's always met with a little bit of skepticism, which I think is fair. It's, okay, are you going to be able to do it in January come the Australian Open? Are you going to be able to do it uh, when we're not kind of in that post-US Open indoor hardcore zone where sometimes we see some weird stuff happens happen that doesn't necessarily indicate what is going to continue in the future. So I want to talk about this title in the framework of that and, and kind of do like a, a Paris fluke meter, okay? And again, you know, we've talked about Jerzy Janovic versus David Ferrer. We've talked about Karen Hachinov beating Djokovic in that final in 2018. We've talked about Philip Krajinovic versus Jack Sock. Um, let's do the Paris fluke meter here. All right. I think you got to start with the draw. You got to start with the draw that Runa had. It was a nightmare. I said in the preview that that stand match was going to be dangerous. It was the popcorn match. Vavrinka has been so good in round ones. And Stan had a match point here. And you also obviously had the the fatigue thing with Runa being in the Basel final last week. And 
being in three finals in his last three tournaments. You think, okay, tired player, change in conditions, Vavrinka first round, this is going to be tough. And it was. But then after that, he kind of blows the brakes off of Hubi Hercoc. Hercoc in a, in a really important spot uh, with that last desperate push to try to make Turin. He beats Hercoc, Rublev, Alcaraz, Djokovic. Five top 10 players in a row. Are you kidding me? That's a big deal when you look at the draw. It's a big deal. Because, uh, you know, I'm I'm consistent. There are guys who are, are making runs and big results. And if the big wins aren't there, I think you always got to take stock of that. Uh, people have said that, you know, sometimes I get comments that, I'm a little too down on Berrettini sometimes. Show me the big wins. Show me the top 10 wins. I'm consistent with this. And you look at this run for, for Runa. I mean, there was there was zero, zero draw opening up here. It was just an incredible run of wins. It's also his fourth straight final. So we have, you know, not just, okay, this was a crazy, incredible week. We have you know, a full month, really five weeks of form here that kind of built up to this point. You also have the fact that he's 19 years old. And this is typically what happens with great players. I don't know that it's always like, a, oh, like slow and steady growth. It, it's sometimes it's like, well, they slap you in the face. Alcaraz slapped us in the face when he won Indian Wells. He slapped us in the face. Nobody had him as a contender coming into Indian Wells. We knew he was great. We knew Runa, similar to Alcaraz, was is an extremely, extremely promising prospect. But he's 19 years old, and this is just kind of what happens sometimes. Whereas you look at some other, let's say, surprising Masters 1000 winners, right? Let's look at that. Fabio Fanini, Monte Carlo a couple years back. He was in his 30s when he did that. So I'm just using an, an extreme example to get my point across. We had a full decade of Fabio Fanini results to understand exactly what he was as a player. And we could kind of go off that and we knew, okay, well, this is probably a one and done thing for him. And it was. Well, he's still playing, but you know what I mean. Whereas Runa being a 19-year-old prospect, I, I think there's enough reason to say, okay, here's a player rapidly improving who is going to contend for big titles, and it's just a matter of when. Uh, so, you know, here here we are. Here it is. Now, you could say, couldn't you say, Gil, couldn't you say a lot of the same stuff for, for Hatchinov in 2018? Wasn't it similar? Young guy, really tough draw. Hatchinov got through a gauntlet that year. Um, and also, he was having a good season good lead up. You could say, okay, all the same things apply. I think the big difference between Runa and Hachinov is uh, Holger's foundation is just so solid. And that's been mostly what I've been talking about in my coverage of Runa over the course of the last couple weeks or the last month, maybe, is that his weaknesses, the physicality and the serve, in my view, they're not weaknesses anymore. And now you look at his game and it's like, where's the hole? What do you do? How do you game plan against him? What is he, you know, what are you attacking? And those answers aren't so clear. Where Hachinov kind of comes in and it's like, that forehand, is that going to work? I know it's working now, but is that really going to keep working? And 
you know, six foot five guy or, or six foot six guy, I should say, um, who, I mean, look, it, it, I, I, I don't want to go too in depth on, on Hatchinov in 2018, but it just feels like Runa is more of this kind of complete can't miss player in terms of, um, in terms of the prospect that he is, uh, speed, power, every single shot. Um, and all that stuff. So on the Paris fluke meter, it's really low. It's really low on the Paris fluke meter. That doesn't mean that he's going to just keep tearing it up and, you know, 2023 is going to be, you know, a, a top eight player in the race. Like, I'm not saying that's a given because of what we've seen here. I'm not saying that's a given. But do I think we're going to look back on this Holger Runa 2022 Paris Masters champion beat Djokovic in the final? Do I think we're going to look back at this and be like, hey, that was weird. That was weird looking back. No, I, I really don't. I, I don't think we're going to look back at that, um, at this, what happened last week and think that was weird. I think we're going to think, oh, uh, that was the breakthrough and Runa's the real deal. And this guy is going to be competing for titles like this for the foreseeable future. Big picture on Djokovic. This was a tough match, and I'm going to get into the match analysis, obviously, shortly. But he was on a 13-match win streak coming into this match, and I think Novak is going to have an awful lot of perspective and kind of brush it off as, as one bad match. One really brutal, frustrating match, because I think it was with all the missed opportunities and uh, the fact that he wasn't clutch in this match. So, I, I mean... I think looking at the match in isolation, he'll say that's an unacceptable loss. That's a really tough loss. Uh, but then in the bigger picture, and he's going to have this perspective, this whole season, this you know hard post-US Open season for Djokovic is about building up to the point where you arrive in Australia knowing and feeling like the best player in the world and like the man to beat. And I think Novak's done that already. Now, obviously, I think Turin's going to be important, and Turin can add to that or detract from that. That goes without saying. Uh, but right now, I feel like Djokovic has gotten exactly what he needed out of this post-US Open season, um, having not played much. He's built himself up. He's looked really, really deadly, and he's been he's been awesome. And then, you know, if you also kind of zoom out and look at the season he's having— Big tournaments, Masters, Majors. He's one of three at Masters. He won Rome. Um, oh, I'm sorry. He's one of four. One of four at Masters because he didn't win in Monte Carlo, didn't win in Madrid, and then he won Rome, and now he's lost Paris. So one of four, and then one of two at Majors. Lost at Roland Garros, won Wimbledon. So... Let's say he wins in Turin. You're looking at three out of a possible seven big titles on Djokovic's weird shortened season, which is awesome. Like if you can win, if you can win big titles at that rate, you're in you're in amazing shape. So, um, and honestly, Monte Carlo, it didn't really feel like he had much of a 
much of a chance there. So it, it almost feels like he would have won three of six. That's kind of what it feels like to me, which is incredible. All right, match analysis. I'm going to get into why Runa won this match 7-5 in the third after this. This week's Monday match analysis is brought to you by APEAK. APEAK is an AI-driven, science-based performance app designed to make you a better tennis player. Based on their user data, 98% of players who utilized APEAK consistently for 5 to 10 minutes a day for at least four days a week, improve their performances and their UTR ratings over the course of three months. They're offering a 14-day free trial, so you can try it out with the link in the description. But at this point, you're probably wondering how it works. So here are just a few of some of the app's features. You start by creating a deeply meaningful purpose for playing tennis. This is your foundation. I'm going to put mine up on the screen. Get a personalized mental training plan based on your needs. Improve your self-awareness through journaling. Customize your pre-match preparation. And then increase your tactical awareness to quickly adapt and adjust while you play. Develop mindfulness and cultivate a sense of genuine calm with tennis-specific meditations. There's also a lot of great content posted on APEAK from their experts. These are weekly resources with highlights from matches, interviews, and articles for you to learn from. And lastly, I want to tell you about the crown jewel, the APEAK Mentorship Program, where you can get one-on-one -on -one guidance from an APEAK mental performance expert through scheduled video calls and anytime text messages. And now for a limited time, APEAK is offering a one-time 20-minute free consultation, which is usually a $70 value. APEAK offers all of these training tools for all tennis players in an affordable and accessible manner. So these are no longer only available for just the pros. Now with APEAK, you can train like the pros and elevate your game to a place it's never been. So click the link in the description for that 14-day free trial to get started. So I think where we got to start here, Djokovic won more total points in this match, yet Runa won two more games. Let me preface that with this. I don't like the total points one stat. I think it's usually pretty stupid. Let's say Djokovic won the first set uh, six love, and then Runa won the next two sets seven, five, seven, five. And then you looked at it and okay, Djokovic won more total points. Let's say that happened. I wouldn't be talking about this because I would have said, okay, first set was the first set, but the, the point here is that Runa was better in the second and the third. And, you know, the total points one stat is completely skewed by the first set. And it's kind of meaningless at looking at the match as a whole. But in this case, I think it's, it's much more instructive because there were, there were no blowout sets and Runa actually won two more games than Djokovic, which is not how this usually goes. Usually the total points one stat is uh, sometimes won by the loser because they won more games, but it was because they had a blowout set and lost some close sets. This is not the case here. Again, it was 6-3, 3-6, or I should say 3-6, 6-3, So what the total points stat tells us on this occasion, is that 
is that Djokovic's service games were on average less competitive than Runa's service games. That Djokovic was holding easier. That he was building larger leads. And that he was consistently putting himself in position to break Runa's serve. Uh, because, you know, Runa was having to play more points on his service games. That's kind of what that stat tells you, given, again, Runa won two more games, but won less points. Uh, there's also a stat, take, a, take with this what you, what you will. I don't think I've ever cited this stat in the history of doing this show, uh, but this is a stat that's kept by, by uh, the ATP. Average number of balls hit on service games. Runa, 23. Djokovic, 14. So he's playing more points. He's working harder. And then when you get down to it, break points converted. Break points converted. Runa was 3 of 3. Djokovic was 2 of 12. And let me uh, isolate the third set for a moment here. In the third set, um, it was... It was... um, Two of two for Runa, one of eight for Djokovic. So this was one of those matches where the player, you know, one player was taking their opportunities and one player wasn't, you know, plain and simple. And Runa was way, way more clutch than Djokovic. So that's where we got to start. And then we go from there. Um, I'm going to throw out the first and the second set. I'm going to focus mostly on the third. And we we say, okay, well, in those big points, in those clutch points, is there a theme? Is there a trend here? Can we lump these points into a bucket? And I think you can. I think there are three major forces at play here. And we're going to go to some some heavy film study um, in order to, to get my point across. So I want to start with this 6-5 game where Holger Runa was trying to serve out the match and Djokovic had six break chances to send this to a third set tiebreak. Six chances, all Runa beating Djokovic to save all six set points. And the two the two major buckets that, that these things fit into were, uh, one, <clears throat> um, Runa's weapons standing up to Djokovic. Which was the main thing that I was I was curious to see coming into this match. This was the main question that I had. Because a lot of players, they, they look like they have weapons. But playing someone who returns and defends as well as Djokovic, that's the ultimate test. That's the ultimate measuring stick. Do you really have weapons? Because your serve is going to come back. The movement, the speed, the defense, the depth... All of these things are going to be at the highest level. Are you still able to finish points with your weapons? Serve did come back. Djokovic definitely made enough returns in play. But I thought Runa's plus one, Runa's weapons behind his serve, they really held up. They were very, very, very impressive. And even when Novak got returns in play... Uh, Runa did a great job on the plus one ball. He did a great job even when Djokovic's returns were deep. He did a great job whether Djokovic's returns were to the forehand or the backhand. And he was mostly serving wide. 
So he had the advantage often of of Djokovic being slightly out of position, which even aided uh, the, you know, it, it aided his plus one ball where where he hit very effective wide serves and then delivered power and precision behind it. And some net play. Runa was able to obviously hold serve at a really high rate throughout this match. I thought a big deal was that his weapon stood up to, to Djokovic's defense. Uh, this, the second thing is some inexplicable mistakes by Novak. There's no way around it. Uh, we're going to look at them. But this is going to be a somewhat uh, painful film session for Novak Djokovic fans. This is like in American football when you come in on a Monday into the facilities and, you know, they have these big movie theaters and they show the game on the big board. And uh, this is this is one where the coach chews you out uh, because there are a lot of mistakes that can't really be explained. Uh, there was a third factor here, but I'm going to save it because it didn't actually come up in this crucial 5-6 uh, game. So here we go. Let's go through it. Film study, all six break points saved by Holger Runa. Here's the first one. It's at 30-40. Good serve T. Return kind of hangs up for Runa's plus one forehand. Inside out, clean winner. Next one. Uh, all the remainder are, are obviously at out. Um, this is actually a plus one forehand. Uh, it was also off of another uh, wide serve. Well, that last one was a T. Uh, this is a wide serve. Runa's going to go to the open court, but actually doesn't really get anything on it. So this is kind of a slow and easily, easily defendable forehand for Djokovic. In fact, he's not even defending. I would say he's trading. And this routine forehand is netted. So that's one in the bucket of inexplicable error by Novak. Next one. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Extended rally. Djokovic actually dictating. And look at this. He's put Runa in a tough position. He's pinned him far back behind the baseline. Open stance, defensive backhand. It's short and, and attackable, at least enough. And Djokovic is going to use the fact that he pushed Runa back. Well, let's hit a drop shot. And it's open, baby. Here we go. It's into the bottom of the net. That was a shocker. The, the shot selection there was correct. Anyone who says it was not the correct sh shot selection is just being a prisoner of the result. So that's one more in the bucket of inexplicable error. Next one, Runa, big serve out wide. He's going to step into a swing volley on the forehand, a drive here, which is a shot that Runa um, plays very well. So again, he's going to use his weapons into the open court after a wide serve. Djokovic is able to throw up a defensive lob, but it's a big overhead finish by Runa. So now we have two and two. Two inexplicable errors, two early aggression and offense weaponry 
on the Runa serve. Next one, Djokovic, a little forehand, routine forehand that uh, Novak goes, you know, trade cross court. But this is a bad trade. This is a bad trade. So uh, Runa is like, all right, short ball, middle of the court. I can hit an approach shot here. And he does down the line. Not a great approach shot, though. And Runa's legs, after a marathon rally, they're super tired here. So pretty slow close at the net. And now Djokovic has this passing shot, which by his standards is easy. It's just not a tough passing shot. Um, he can hit this as a two-shot pass if he wants. Try to get it at Runa's feet. And that wouldn't be difficult based on where Runa's standing. He'd easily get it at the feet. Or where he's split-stepping, I should say. Uh, but instead, Djokovic goes for the outright winner. And he pulls it wide. Goes very aggressive on this target. When he really didn't need to. Um, and that's a, that's a bad job by Novak. Not making Runa even hit a volley. So I would put that in the inexplicable error bucket. Last one. We're at number six, folks. And Runa comes up with the big serve which Djokovic does not return. So we got one unreturnable, um, but there you go. Three and three. Three and three in each bucket. So those are your six break points. Let me just finish off this game because Runa had to close the deal. This was like a really, really long marathon game, as you could imagine, with all the break points. So it, at the end of the day, it was who was going to get this done. Obviously, it was Runa, and here's how he ultimately did it. Uh, after that sixth breakpoint save, which I showed you, it was another wide serve, and Djokovic gets the return. It's a good return to the backhand, but again, Runa with his power and the fact that at least he he hit his spot on the wide serve to attack Djokovic's court position, he's going to hit this backhand cross with unreal depth to force the, the Djokovic error. I show you where that ball landed, so that's... Boy, that's an awesome example of Runa's weapons being so good behind his serve. It gets him to game point and on game, or I'm sorry, uh, championship point is what I really mean to say. Uh, Djokovic gets a short ball here and he hits an approach shot. It's not a good approach shot. The ball lands at the service line. Runa has plenty of time on the forehand pass and he hits a great one. Cross court. Right at Novak's feet, half volley, Djokovic cannot handle it. And there's your championship. The next thing, though, I want to do, and Djokovic fans are not going to uh, like me for this, is I want to cover more of Novak's mistakes in this match. I want to kind of go over some of the missed opportunities that he had, and I want to say, I don't know why this happened. I don't have a good theory for why Novak Djokovic made so many surprising errors in clutch situations. What I would say is a couple times a season, you're going to have a match like this. If you're Novak Djokovic, if you're as good as him, it's still going to happen one or two times every season. And my best explanation is this was just that match. So again, here are a couple of the major Djokovic mistakes that stood out to me. Uh, this one is in the third set 
with Djokovic up a break at 3-1, and it's deuce. So this is a really important point where where Novak is trying to uh, maintain that break advantage in the third, and he opens up the inside in, and Runa has this desperation chip that just kind of floats, and Novak has a forehand volley, which really couldn't be any easier. And this was by far the worst shot of the match. This was, of all the mistakes, to me, the most shocking because I just can't think of anything difficult about this volley. And Djokovic not only goes to the deuce corner where Runa obviously is, but he doesn't even hit this really all that short. And I don't, I can't really tell what he was trying to do here. I don't know if he was trying to go behind Runa, but that's that shot just isn't there. So uh, he just kind of puts this kind of into the deuce corner. Again, not deep. You can see where Runa's contact point is. You know, he hits it at hip level at the baseline. He throws up the lob. Novak has another chance to finish this volley, but but this one is kind of tough. It's high on his backhand, and Runa is able to kind of react and deflect this ball into the open court and get a game point. The next big mistake is here at 5-all. And this is obviously a game where Djokovic got his serve broken. 5-all in the third set, very crucial. 30-all here. And it's a routine kind of plus one backhand. It was in Djokovic's strike zone. There wasn't too much pace on the return. And he just hit it long. It was one of those... It was just a bona fide unforced error here by Djokovic on the plus one backhand. Now this next group of mistakes, three points here, and I hearken back to the second set, and it's love all in the second set, triple break point for Djokovic. And at this point, Novak just played a rather clinical first set, and Runa makes a couple of errors to start the second set, and it kind of looked like, oh boy, like this, this could actually be an uncompetitive final. At this point, that would be a thought that would creep into your mind because Runa just, first three points of the second set, hit some errors, and suddenly it's love 40. And here's what happened. Love 40, Runa, um, off of a drop shot retrieval, just kind of punches the ball deep and gives Djokovic a rather easy backhand passing shot, but Novak hits it long. Next point, 15-40. Second serve, Runa goes out wide. Djokovic is out in front of this forehand. I guess the it was not a very fast second serve, and I actually thought it kind of took Novak by surprise because Runa was hitting it so hard, generally speaking. But uh, Novak hits this forehand second serve return in the middle of the net. Next point, 30-40. Djokovic dictates, gets an overhead. It's not... A gimme overhead. It's like on the scale of overheads, probably 7 out of 10 difficulty. Uh, but you should still win the point off of it. Novak goes right, you know, kind of down the middle on it. And Runa hits a backhand pass that gets low on Novak. And Djokovic cannot handle the volley. So all three break points saved by Runa. Hold serve, and then 
Novak has a real let off in the next couple games. Runa, instead of Djokovic going up a break in the second set, Runa goes up a break and gets builds a three-love lead in the second set, completely changed the match. So there's your big mistakes by Djokovic. And now I'm I'm kind of done talking about the clutch moments. And I want to talk about um, Runa's ability to kind of hang in the longer rallies. And actually, uh, one, the majority of the points that were five or more shots in this match. I think a major key for him was, first of all, despite the aggressive serving, the aggressive plus one play, very opportune, uh, he was very consistent and patient, never trying to force anything from uh, from neutral. I think ultra-aggressive on his return, ultra-aggressive on his uh, on his plus one after the serve when the opportunities and the openings were presenting themselves. But when he had to settle into a rally, he was very consistent. But I think I thought the key here was his uh, his play with continental grip off of the backhand, and he won a lot of points with the backhand slice and the backhand drop shot, and he was able to kind of break up these points and create that small edge that makes all the difference by attacking Novak in the way you have to attack Novak, which is mix up your heights and your spins and your rhythms, your paces. Uh, You have to. You can't drive backhands back and forth with Novak or you're going to get hurt. So Runa didn't, and he used his slice and his drop shot brilliantly. So I want to go to the film to show you a couple of times he was able to do that. Now, it just so happens that this 3-1 game, where I've already showed you one point from it, this 3-1 game was probably the most crucial game where Runa... Uh, used his slice to great effect. And I'm not going to show you every example in this third set, but some of the most important ones uh, were right here. So at this 30-15 point, Djokovic up, they're just going to go slice to slice. You see how low Runa's slice stays here, and Djokovic needs to slice back and hits it wide. So that was just your classic slice to slice battle, and Djokovic missed one. Now at 40-30, game point, Djokovic to go up 4-1 here. This was one of the most low-key biggest points of the match to go up 4-1. And Runa is going to do the Roger Federer short chip backhand. The slice is so good, Novak only has one option here. He has to chip and charge. Pretty much the only thing he can do here. So he does. But man, it's, it's a tough position for Novak. It sets up the backhand pass for Runa and Holger is cash down the line for the winner. Next one, um, it's break point in this game. Remember, Runa took both of his break opportunities in this third set and all three in the match. So we see another clutch point. This is one of those examples where Runa, as great as he is offensively, willing to be consistent and use his legs and grind. Well, in this point, he's pretty defensive. He's pretty actually passive. Uh, but it works out, and this could also be lumped into the surprising errors category. Uh, this could have been in the montage, but instead it's in the slice montage because Runa um, hits his backhand slice short cross court once again, 
We've seen it three times already or twice already in this game. Here comes a third time. And now Djokovic goes inside in on the approach shot. By the way, I thought this was a different point. So scratch what I said before about the mistakes thing. That'll be coming up on the next point. Djokovic goes inside in and Runa has the cross-court forehand pass open, and he nails it. A lot of good passing shots, huh? Showing up a lot here. Um, But look, I want to say, this looks like Djokovic maybe hit a bad approach or something, but it's really, uh, most of the credit goes to Runa here, because this is another tough position for Djokovic where he doesn't have a lot of pace to work with, he doesn't have a high contact point, so he has to bring the ball up and down, And he's out of position because he's having to run around to hit a forehand. So all of those ingredients make this a really tough approach shot. And Runa deserves a lot of credit for once again hitting a great backhand slice cross court that put Novak in that position. Another one here. Big one at 2-3, 30-all. Runa backhand drop shot. Very effective in this match. Sets up the easy backhand pass. Next one. Break point. So the other break point in this third set. It's at 5-all. And this is the point that I was talking about where with Runa being uh, defensive and consistent. And this could have been in the Djokovic uh, mistake montage. Because he goes slow, low pace slice, middle to give himself and buy himself time to recover. And Djokovic goes big off the forehand and just misses wide. So there you go. Runa's slice and his drop shot uh, playing a huge, huge role. I'm going to end this film study session and end this Monday match analysis with the point of the match. I've shown you all of these important points that all fall into three categories. Runa's brilliant early offense behind his serve, Djokovic's missed opportunities, bad mistakes, and Runa using his slice backhand and his backhand drop shot. This one doesn't fall into any of those categories. It's just it's just a huge point where Runa did something incredible. And the irony of this point is that if you watched my breakdown of Djokovic Tsitsipas in the semifinal, you will see that Novak's anticipation on that uh, point in the tiebreak, it was 4-5, won him that third set tiebreak against Tsitsipas, his anticipation. And in this case, Runa takes that anticipation and uses it against Djokovic. I'll show you how. This is 30-15 in that 5-all game once again. 5-all third set where Runa broke to serve for the match and the championship. Uh, Djokovic has that lead. 30-15. He's going to drop shot down the line. And it's a good drop shot. So Runa on the full stretch, low contact point, is in a tough position. Djokovic is thinking, if you're that close to the net, and the ball is that low, you're definitely going cross-court because there's not a lot of space to go down the line. 
The net is right there. It's the highest part of the net. You're going to have to bring the ball up and down. Uh, it, it just seems very unrealistic that Runa is going to go down the line. So Djokovic is thinking either deep cross court or redrop. So he's going to start sprinting in. And if Runa goes cross court, Djokovic is going to be able to take the ball out of the air because he's standing in the midcourt. If Runa hits a redrop, Djokovic has a head start and he's going to be able to get to the drop shot. Runa goes on this drop shot retrieval, the only place that Novak was not covering. And somehow he's able to punch this down the line. And you can see all of Djokovic's momentum moving forward. So he's completely off balance, having to readjust and lunge for for Runa's shot, uh, which was struck with great depth, by the way. Novak just throws up a lob here. Uh, he really can't control this shot. And Runa finishes it off with the overhead. Djokovic goes up 40-15 there. He probably holds, and we go to at least a tiebreak. But Holger, with that crazy dig, using his speed, and going in the one place that uh, Novak and his anticipation, his you know intuition, thought, well, there's no way he's going there. And to Runa's credit, that is where he went. Next week, we got the next-gen finals. Um, I'll also have coverage tomorrow of the final in Fort Worth, the year-end WTA finals. So looking forward to that and a mailbag on Friday. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.